Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. I'm Brandon Hull, and it's time for Freelance to Founder. I wasn't worried about optimizing revenue or optimizing profits early on. It was really just a matter of answering that test. Like, are there people who are willing to pull out their credit card? And what does this sort of like growth prospects look for this? Is there product market fit for this type of thing? Like, are are people, do people find value in it that they're willing to pay for? You know, 100 people sign up the first month and then 125 or 150 signed up the second month. So all of a sudden there are 250 people on the list by the end of month two. That point where I started to think like, okay, there is something here. People are valuing it. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me for a new episode of Freelance to Founder. If you're one of our regulars, I'd love to hear from you. You can do that via rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Google, or wherever. And by connecting with me on Twitter at Brandon Hull, H-U-L-L. If you're new to the podcast, this is a show where I talk to entrepreneurs of all kinds, marketing agency leaders, online course builders, physical product inventors, software developers, all varieties. And what makes them unique is that in many cases, they started these pursuits as freelance gigs that ultimately took on a whole new life and scaled far beyond the founder's expectations and definitely bigger than themselves. I'm excited to share this conversation with you today. Over the years, we've had tremendous guests and Well, many of our founders sort of stumbled upon their businesses. They had a talent for doing something specific or experience in an industry, and their business just sort of emerged. Becca Cordes in season two, uh, Brendan Dunn in season three, Sarah Morgan in season four, Courtney Slaznik in season five. There are actually too many to name. And this week's story fits so well with theirs. Scott Keyes, he was a journalist. He loved the work, in fact. It wasn't due to extreme boredom or hatred of the cubicle life, so to speak, or anything along those lines that caused him to start his aptly named Scott's Cheap Flights. It was an innate ability to find great travel deals that turned into an email list that grew and grew and grew until he almost felt obligated to turn it into a business. Six years later, there are 22 employees involved. He's got a killer premium membership offering in what I think is a nearly recession-proof business, helping find helping people find cheap flights to destinations around the world. What I like about this episode is how we go beyond what Scott did to grow his business into what he's learned about how it applies to others' businesses. He gets asked for advice all the time, and while he realizes he didn't map out his business in some sophisticated way, he's learned great lessons about building a digital membership product growing an email list and staying ahead of the curve when it comes to competition and even internet trends. Importantly, you're going to hear how he discovered a co-founder and went with his gut intuition in bringing Brian Kidwell on board as chief operations officer and his take in general on risk mitigation in the hiring process. We talk at length 
about hiring in your earliest days as a founder. It's really good stuff. And you'll finally hear how he made the decision to let Scott's cheap flights become his full-time endeavor, how he set aside his other pursuits, his other interests to make this his thing. And as is our new norm, stick with us to the end. You'll hear Scott's answers to our three-in-one questions, one principle, one habit, and one person that are an important part of his journey. All right, that's your setup. Scott was generous with his time, open with his advice, and really insightful with his answers and guidance. I hope you enjoy this special episode of Freelance to Founder. Mr. Scott Keyes, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on Freelance to Founder. Great to be here. Your story is a genuine freelance to founder story because what you're doing today was not at all what the game plan was, I would say, 10 years ago. And so I'm looking forward to not only getting that story, um, the how-tos and that sort of thing, but for people to have a chance to get to know you personally and how you evaluated that this should be a pivot that you should make. So I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks again. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Excited to jump into it. So Scott's Cheap Flights has been around since 2013. Um, and six years into this now, I guess the first question I would ask, and it's the first question I ask most of our guests is what can you tell us about where the business is today in terms of members, um, social following and, and, and how, how, uh, where it's at versus where you thought it would be when you first started this thing off just a few years back. Absolutely. So let me, let me start by explaining how Scottish Cheap Flights came to be. Uh, Scottish Cheap Flights is not I was never one of those uh, persons who like was an aspiring entrepreneur, somebody who just really wanted to start a business but didn't know what. You know, somebody who who was just like champing at the bit to uh, uh, to be in a startup. That was never my my background, never my desire or goal. But I was a guy who just really loved to travel and didn't have much money in the bank account, and so trying to kind of square those two things together and being able to travel without much money led me sort of down a rabbit hole where I spent years researching, hey, what are all the things that I can be doing to try to make sure I'm getting the best possible deal on flights whenever I need them? And it all then culminated in 2013 when I came across the best deal that I've ever gotten in my life still to this day, which was nonstop from New York City to Milan for 130 bucks round trip. Absolutely incredible deal. Which makes I mean, no sense. <laughs> no sense at all. That's a flight that ought to cost, that generally costs closer to a thousand bucks, at least certainly at the time. And so, you know, Milan hadn't been somewhere on my radar. It was, it, it was totally, uh, 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 in, you know, an indulgent kind of whim. But I was like, yes, you know, for 130 bucks, there's nowhere in the world I wouldn't go. So I had a wonderful trip. But what was interesting was when I got back from this trip, all of my friends and coworkers kept coming up to me. Hey, Scott. Will you let me know next time you find a deal like that so I can get in on it too? And so rather than trying to remember every single person I needed to let know next time I found a, a good flight deal, I decided, why don't I just start a simple little email list? That way I can let everybody know at once. And so that's how Scott's Cheap Flights got, got started. It wasn't a you know business goal or a plan or anything. It was just the simplest solution to be able to let my friends know when I found a, a good flight deal. Uh and, and, you know, and at the time it was making like for years, it was not a business. It was just a hobby. It was just something I did for fun. And so it, I think it really, uh, we can get into kind of how it grew to what it has, but it really surprises a lot of people today that from that sort of very humble 
uh, origin, it now today is an email list with uh, uh, close to 2 million peop- uh, members on the list and 40 people on the Scotch Deep Flights team and growing really quickly. And, and, and the fact that it has become what it is today, so widespread and, and, and uh, just far larger than I ever could have imagined is a real, uh, I would like to think that it's a, that it's a like pat on my own back, but I think really it's a testament to people's love for, for travel and specifically for cheap flights. Yep. And I think an, I would absolutely agree with that. In fact, I can't offer a counter to that whatsoever. I think the only thing I would add is that maybe some people's feeling of it's hard to make sure that they're really finding the best possible flight options out there as well, right? Because the preponderance of choice is a little bit difficult for them. So to have one trusted source that they can turn to and over time that they absolutely can verify or count on is a big part of that as well, right? That's exactly right. You know, there's there's such a mental tax with booking booking flights that is not true of buying most things. You know, you go to the grocery store and you're not sitting there like just laboring, spending so much time and energy over like, which milk should I buy? You you know, it's not that weighty of a decision and the price tends to be pretty uh, rational. How much you pay is generally, you know, correlated with how much you buy. And it tends to, price tends to be pretty consistent. What it costs yesterday is about what it costs today and about what it costs tomorrow. And none of that is true for flights. The price is constantly jumping around. You know, the same, the exact same flight will be $800 yesterday and $300 today and $1,300 tomorrow. And it has oftentimes no correlation to how far you fly. And so uh, I think it really kind of is a stressful thing because people want to be able to travel. They know they need a flight if they want to go overseas. And yet they have, in order to get a flight, they have to engage in buying this thing that whose which behavior is seemingly sent like nonsensical it ends up being a pretty negative experience and that's what we're trying to kind of help people with and alleviate to be able to direct them towards the cheap flights so that it ends up being a really positive experience they can travel more and not have that uh, anxiety hanging over their heads yeah and i wonder if some people are so worried about missing out on a great deal but also that there's the reverse fear that they feel like they're going to be taken and so i so when you your origin story in that way with your ticket to milan is fascinating to me because you um in some ways stumbled upon an opportunity that shouldn't have existed right it's like it's either a broken algorithm a broken offer or something like that and i can see the excitement of turning that into something where other people can take advantage of it as well. The difficulty becomes, in my mind, and we'll get into this, obviously, throughout this conversation, but the difficulty becomes in repeating that over and over and finding always great opportunities that are ones that they couldn't have found on their own, or at least darn comparable. When you stumbled upon this and people are coming to you like, you find this again, Scott, and you better tell me because I might be like you and book a flight that I hadn't planned to book to begin with, did the idea of being able to repeat this in a regular way before you even thought about making into a larger company uh, that employed people, did the idea of duplicating this over and over, was that a fear in your mind? Like, wait, I might've just, it might've just been fool's gold, a one-time thing that I can't, I can't repeat this. How did, how did you sort through that? It was, you know, that was rewind to 2013. And if I had, you know, sort of envisioned forward, okay, this is going to become larger. What are going to be the stumbling blocks or the hurdles that you need to overcome that would have been the one of the primary things in my mind thinking how am i going to find the deals how are are there enough deals that this is something that people you know 
would be interested in, much less be willing to pay for. And whether through serendipity or or or, or just sheer luck or 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 skill of develop, that has not been the case at all. Much to my surprise, I would have expected it'd be very difficult to find uh, uh, deals constantly. But we are so fortunate, all of us, anybody who likes to travel to be living right now because we are living right now in the golden age of cheap flights. It has never been cheaper to travel overseas as it is today. And so the fact that even seven years ago, it would, you know, you'd almost never see flights to Europe under 900 bucks round trip. Like it was quite rare. Nowadays, regularly see them 300 bucks round trip, sometimes even lower. And so it it, it really, uh, uh, I think, gives a bit of a shock and a jolt to a lot of people who are used to paying two or three times what it costs today uh, uh, to be able to fly overseas. So we've been, there are a number of factors that have caused airfare to become much cheaper than it's historically been. Uh, uh, and it's just, I think, in some ways, just very sort of lucky and serendipitous timing that Scotty Flights started and began during this, uh, 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 I guess, downswing in prices it, during, you know, that it started at a time when cheap flights were starting to become very, very plentiful. And because look, at the end of the day, we can't force airlines to offer, a, you know, a, t- a price on a ticket other than what they do. All we can, all we can do is be sitting there monitoring and making sure that as soon as prices do drop to a, to a point where we say that this is a, a really, good, worthwhile, valuable flight, you know, when that happens, then we can let our members know about it. But we can't like force the airlines to offer these $300 flights to Europe. We're just lucky that they, that we're living in a time right now when they do very regularly as well. Right. And you have, you, you've obviously over time have built systems. Again, we'll get into this uh, as the interview goes, but systems to capitalize on those, to find those even when they're real deals and when they're accidental (laughs) deals as well, which I know that those, the stories of those have been publicized, but so let's talk about you personally here. You were you were an avid traveler, but not in the travel industry when your trip to Milan happened. It was just uh, something you stumbled across. At the time, you were a journalist. Um, when you go back even further back in time, you mentioned that being an entrepreneur is not something that really ever crossed your mind. And yet you're living a life now today where you've got you know, 40 employees that are counting on your decisions and your uh, your direction, and there's all the management pieces that go into it, and and so forth. The, all the the trappings of being a business owner. You were a journalist, like this was your passion, this was your career, this was your expertise. As you started to get more and more requests, or even your email list started to grow with the building of ScottsCheapsFlights.com. ScottsCheapsFlights.com. Did you did it start? The wheels start to turn then that. Not only could this be a, a hobby that that is fun, it's one that can pay. And then on top of that now, maybe it's one that can become your thing. Did you have these challenges you were dealing with where I enjoy the work I'm doing, though? <laughs> and, and if this takes on too big of a life, I'll have to set that aside. Walk me through that process of thinking through this being a side project and a hobby and something you've quote-unquote freelanced in. And something that you started to embrace, even just in your mind, as a possible thing that you would be, you know, would become your career, would become your your business. Yeah. So one of the main themes that you'll pick up on is you kind of hear my backstory. It's just so much serendipity, uh, and this is another instance where 
look, I'd been working for years as a as a journalist. I loved doing. It. I still, you know, am, am very fond of the 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 craft and the profession. Um, but life had taken me to a point uh, uh, when kind of Scott Sheep Flights started, where I'd been working full time as a journalist, and then I decided I wanted to do something a bit different, and ended up moving down to uh, to Mexico for a while because probably I just wanted to be able to go on adventure, learn Spanish, be able to travel more, uh, help teach English, a number of these different things, and do that while I was young before I had, you know, a, a family or, or a spouse or a, a mortgage or all these things that kind of uh, prevent those types of, of youthful adventures from coming to fruition. And uh, so, it, you know, it, like, it was around this time that I ended up uh, uh, launching Scottship Flights into a an actual kind of paid business but it also meant that look i was i was freelancing at the time i didn't have i had like a a a steady enough uh stream of income but it wasn't a like full-time position per se and so i've i was hitting at that moment a bit of a fork in the road where i you know i said look i can either go down one path where i am getting another full-time position and really kind of re-entering the workforce in journalism or i can really try to see Will this silly little cheap flights email list become a you know will anything become of it? And one of the things that ended up actually pushing me towards path number two there was really unexpected. Uh, it was that my then girlfriend now wife um, and I had just moved to Denver uh, out to Colorado and we really wanted to get a dog. We really wanted to get a puppy and knowing that like, look, they're always, you know, they need to be house trained, you know, like need a lot of attention when they're young and everything. Like, okay, uh, my wife has a full-time job. When she keeps working, I can, you know, do this freelance thing, see if this email list will take off, but but in doing so, be able to 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 stay at home and help raise this, this puppy. And we just sort of sat down and go, all right, this makes sense. Let's try this out for, you know, six, eight months, see what it works. At worst case, if it doesn't end up coming too much, then you can see about getting a full-time position then. So it's like an extremely fortunate position to have a, a significant other to help kind of support the the household that way. And then just, you know, super, super lucky that this puppy ended up coming that, 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 that kind of kept me at home and forced me to, 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 to devote myself to the cheap flights email list. And then uh, I started becoming what it was. And so I like, I look back very fondly at my, at my, my time in journalism. And I think it's, it taught me a lot of these sorts of skill set that has been useful in my, in my new career. But um, uh, uh, I'm very glad to be able to work and travel as well. I don't view it as, as, as something that's like inherently worse off. (laughs) So, um, that's tremendous. And I, I think it's it's amazing how many people I talk to where the story could have changed and, and gone in one of many directions. I don't think it's crossroads always where it's this way or that way. There's multiple options in life uh, always. But um, how often the story pivoted on a moment that could have gone either way. It could have gone this way. You could have done this. You could have done this. And sometimes it's these small little moments of opportunity that good entrepreneurs seem to see and size up well, even if they don't sit down and strategically think through it, maybe it's sometimes a quick decision, but they make the, the decision that ends up paying off in a tremendous way. Was, was the idea of do, going all in on this an easy one for you then, or was it painstaking? Because you portrayed it as though it was, oh, there were a lot of things that were in place, very logical, very easy. 
But was it a difficult thing uh, emotionally? I think what I, uh, in looking back at it now with some some distance, it um, it was easy in the sense that I didn't have a ton to give up in that moment. So, you know, some people are aspiring entrepreneurs, um, but are aspiring founders and they have a full-time position. And so to be able to really kind of devote themselves to one, uh, to a side hustle or, or, or a new business or something like it's hard to do when you're also working, you know, 40 or 50 hours in an office. Um, and so like I was in a fortunate position that timing wise, I just didn't happen to, to have that at that moment. And so I did have the time and, and, and attention to be able to devote to this. What I, uh, ended up doing as well. And that I, I, I really kind of recommend to other uh aspiring entrepreneurs you know there's a a whole romanticism romanticization around the idea of just like going all in from the very from the very get-go you know just to burn the boats really prove your devotion because you know look you got to be totally committed and that's like i i understand the the mentality and that's 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 all on good but same time look don't be pollyannish about the fact that most startups don't end up succeeding. It's a brutal reality. And this is something I was like very, very cognizant of from the get-go that like chances are this is not going to succeed. And and so I really, that didn't mean that I didn't believe in it. I didn't want to work, you know, against those odds and everything. But it was also being cognizant of like, I could have emptied my bank account and, you know, it, it, like if I had had a full-time job, quit it and do all this, that, and the other to try to uh, 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 prove that I really wanted it, but I don't think that's en- ends up being a p- very wise way for most thing uh, for most people in most situations because of the brutal realities of the marketplace, and that it's really difficult to find that sort of product market fit. So what I really try to uh, recommend and impress to people is to it is actually not a bad thing to kind of like take it a little slow from the beginning, try to find that product market fit slow walk it and start to see are people kind of like are they uh uh uh, buying what you're selling you know are you starting to get that traction are you starting to get that um results in the marketplace before you sort of take that plunge into the deep end and so for me it took it took a, a solid six or seven months after first launching scotty flights as an actual paid business before i stopped I, I completely stopped doing journalism. I, I was I was juggling both at the time. You know, I was, I was either Scotty Flights was my my, my full time and uh, moonlighting as a journalist, or journalism was my full time. I was moonlighting as a cheap flight finder. However, you want to view it. But I was I was juggling both for for a number of months until it became like really apparent and really clear that wow, this thing has legs. Like this thing could really go somewhere. I'm seeing the sorts of results. I'm seeing the sorts of of pickup and 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 it was starting to make more money than my than my uh writing was and so I, I started to be like okay now you know i've gotten enough signal here that i should actually go all in on this but i think too many people want to skip that that step and just jump right into the all in and and uh you know if you're if you're lucky if you're one of the 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 small percentage that whose startup does succeed great you know that 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 then it looks like a genius move but for most of us uh uh and and most businesses that don't end up succeeding it's a pretty costly move to end up doing if you go all in like right from the get-go right it, to me um 
back in 2013, staying back in that time frame, when you're launching this and you're building it as a newsletter that you've got people that are subscribed to, to, to maybe find these little hidden gems like this. Um, well, actually, let me phrase it as a question first. What did you, did you require membership right out of the gates or did you allow people to be a part of the, the email list and do it sort of literally as a generous offering to people? Help me understand how the monetization evolved, even in the earliest days, not where it's at today, where we know it's a membership, but um, in the beginning days, how did you sort through what people would have a stomach to pay for? Because they may not travel every single month, right? They may have this one trip that they need it for and may feel like it being a, a, a better suited as a blog with advertisers on it versus it being a membership option. How did you think through that in the earliest days? Yeah. So uh, what had happened was that the email list, which started in 2013 is just something for my friends. And, you know, a few dozen my friends signed up. They really liked it. And, you know, through the rest of 2013, 2014, early 2015, they were telling their friends and the, the list had grown uh, 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 pretty substantially. And so by summer of 2015, it had reached about 5,000 people on the list. So all of a sudden, I was graduated out of the free tier of uh, of MailChimp. That was the... the um, email provider I was using at the time. And so I couldn't, you know, I could no longer send these emails for free. I had to pay to be able to do it. And as much as I, 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 I love, you know, I, I enjoyed it as a hobby, being able to find these deals and send them out to friends. I didn't, I felt kind of weird having to pay out of pocket in order to let other people know about these deals. So I started to think, okay, how could I just recoup my costs? Like that was the goal. Uh, I didn't still at the time, wasn't thinking about turning it to an actual kind of bona fide business or thinking that it could could take off the way it has. I was just trying to recoup the 25, uh, it was 50 bucks a month now that I think about it. Um, and so I, I, I tossed around a couple different monetization ideas in my mind. First idea was um, ad supported. But you know, look, like nowadays, like 5,000 people, it's just, it, it. there wasn't, like, it would take a, a long time to be able to get any sort of real traction from from ad support and monetization. And, and it's a lot of, like, uh, 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 time selling or really low, low revenue, low quality ads uh, as a result. I just didn't, I didn't, didn't really like that sort of uh, route. And so another option would have been taking commission. So, you know, if somebody books a deal that we send out, then we would get some portion of that. But the thing is, I didn't like that the way that that set up the incentives, because if you think back to thinking of why flights are so flummoxing to people, uh, it's because they're confusing and that the, the price is always jumping around. People don't know when to book. And so I, you know, I, I was asking people, hey, trust me that this is a good deal. Trust me that, you know, when I tell you that this, you know, you don't worry with those like $750 flights to Europe, hold out for the $350 flights to Europe. Uh, they're putting a lot of trust in me. And so I didn't like the idea of then turning around and having a profit incentive to for them to be able to book because I can, you know, it, it, like I don't like the optics of, the, of them, of asking them to trust me, but also getting sort of a, a, a payment uh, uh, under the table for them taking that action. So I decided, okay, I don't like I don't want to go commission. What's the third option? I decided, you know, I was looking at membership. Hey, are people willing to pay to receive this? This is something that they value enough that they're willing to um, actually kind of explicitly uh, uh, put their money to. 
And so I wanted to, I essentially set this up as a hypothesis. I wanted to test is, uh, are people willing to pull out their credit cards and do this? And so I set up a super low price point because I didn't want it to be a question of like, is this worth, you know, five bucks a month or whatever price? I just wanted it to be a black and white, you know, am I willing to pay a tiny price for this or not. So I set it at two bucks a month because I figured like, look, what is two bucks? Like, like nobody's going to think about that and be like, oh, that's too, too rich for my blood. But the, um, but at the same time, it's telling me, are people willing to get over that categorical shift? Are they willing to go from something that they had could get for free to something that they're being asked to pay for? Because remember coming from the journalism industry, I was, incredibly familiar with, uh, if you remember back in the 2000s and whatnot, uh, uh, most newspapers, most most uh, uh, news sites would put out all their content for free on the website. And then they realized, you know, shoot, we're losing a ton of money doing this. Let's try to set up some paywalls and seeing, you know, a huge backlash because psychologically for people, when we take something that we had gotten for free, and then are being asked to pay for it. We really rebel against that. And so it's very cognizant of that. So I really wanted to try to make sure that uh, 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 I could get, like, see if people were willing to jump over that hurdle with me. So I asked, I set it at two bucks a month and I set it up as a freemium model. So think of Spotify where you have your, your free list and your premium list. Obviously, folks on the premium list get a bunch of extra perks. And I just started because I didn't want to kick off everybody who didn't you know, who wasn't willing to, to pull out their credit card. So that's what I did. Set it up as premium list, two bucks a month and, and, and just see, Hey, how many people can we get? Can we get the 25 people who would be needed to cover the 50 bucks a month, uh, uh, in hosting costs. And lo and behold, I got those uh, 50 people, I think in the first three or four days, like it was, it was, it was very, uh, or, or sorry, those 25 people that 50 bucks. And then, you know, everything beyond that, I think at the end of the first month, there were a hundred people. So like I had made $150 profit in the first month, which was like, whoa. But wait a minute. That suggests to me that the first thing on your mind to move from this being something that's a free offering, it's an email that you're, that obviously it's grown to 5,000. So at that point, you're already seeing it, viewing it differently. It's a hobby plus, you know, Um, but the fact that you're incurring costs uh, with MailChimp and all that sort of thing, it's funny to me that the first thing that occurs to your mind is, okay, I got to cover my web hosting and my MailChimp costs. Like, as long as I can do that, I'm going to feel pretty good about things. You weren't thinking at that point, wow, 5,000 email subscribers. What could I do to get this to 50,000, to 500,000, to whatever it is? You're thinking, okay, I just want to cover these costs for now, which is, which and some other entrepreneurs would feel like you're thinking not very, you're not thinking big enough. Yeah, this is the difference between a journalist approaching this problem and somebody with like a business background and entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I I I I recognize that I probably was not the uh, uh, the the case study that they'll be teaching at uh, in business schools uh, for those situations. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. 
with the hydro rower and 20 minutes a day getting a full body workout is so much easier hydro can work up to 86 percent of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout that's because hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's going to want to take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to Hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code freelance to save $400 hydro.com promo code freelance or just click the link in our show description have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone sometimes you need a full-fledged team other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at whatever your reason for hiring we recommend you take a look at linkedin jobs LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. However, there's something to be said for having an initial price point that is immediately uh, a great test that's low enough that's a great test of whether people are willing to pay you basically almost like reward you for the value you've been providing them um, it's so minimal I mean it's it's a half a coffee a day or something like that for one, one month and they're paying you for that but also it's it's almost a you can always go up like it's tough to go backwards you know if you charge you try to charge 99 bucks a month you would have had a, a mutiny on your hand or something like that. And people thought, geez, this guy's extremely um, greedy for what, what he's been delivering for me. Um, but to start at two is almost like, hey, listen, I've been providing value to you. <laughs> you know, Let's throw a little something in here and, and we'll continue to produce great deals for you. And you can always bump from there. So I don't know if you thought, saw it that way. <laughs> Obviously not. You're worried about covering the, the, the hosting cost at the time. Um, you get your people, your 100 or so people to cover those costs, 50 to 100 people to cover those costs. And did you start thinking like, oh boy, maybe I could have gone with uh, $9.99 a month or $19.99 a month. Did you kick yourself at all during that process? You just go from there. Uh, I didn't have time to. I didn't have time to kick myself. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't so much like, oh, I, I wasn't worried about optimizing revenue or optimizing profits early on. It was really just a matter of answering that test. Like, are there people who are willing to pull out their credit card? And what does this sort of like growth prospects look for this? I mean, think of it in a nutshell as, is there product market fit for this type of thing? Like, are are people, do people find value in it that they're willing to pay for? I think where it really started to click in my mind was, you know, that first month is just, Hey, you know, on a lark, let's just see what happens. But then that second month when 
you know, 100 people signed up the first month and then 125 or 150 signed up the second month. So all of a sudden there are 250 people on the list by the end of month two. And I had, you know, $50 in expenses, but I got $500 in revenue. And I was like, whoa. And realizing like, you know, this is not something that I'd sort of like projected forward the uh, beauty of, of, of subscription business where it's just kind of like ongoing recurring revenue coming in rather than it's sort of being like a sales business where there's big chunks or stuff like that. But uh, uh, it was very, really laid bare for me in that sort of second and third month and watching it kind of continue to grow and continue to multiply. And so it's at that point where I started to think like, okay, there is something here. People are valuing it. You know, this thing has got legs. What are what are the next steps then to take in order to optimize this thing? In order well, to take it. When did you, you think know? that? How how quick how quick into that process did you start thinking that? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I got I got to do this. I got to think through this now a little bit more strategically. Was that month yeah. two that soon, or did it take a few months? Well, it's funny because between uh, uh, at the time, I was. Uh, spending, you know, a few hours a day writing articles, doing journalism, spending a, a, at least a few hours a day hunting for uh, uh, like cheap flights, hunting, trying to hunt for deals to send out to the email, spending a few hours a day responding to emails because, you know, especially it being an email native product, like if anybody has a, a question, they just hit reply. And so I'd have, you know, dozens of emails every day and need to get back to people. And I really kind of like took a lot of pride in wanting to get back to people immediately, like not wanting to let it sit for, you know, a, a day or two and, and not even a few hours. I was like, if they email me, I want to get back to them right away, especially given the the real kind of time sensitive nature of flight deals. And, and, and then not to mention, you know, this puppy that I had at home. Plus, you know, look, look, I was 27, 28. Like, I'd like to have a little bit of a social life. I had a, a you know, then girlfriend at home, like, like, like there were a lot of things kind of calls on my time. And so between everything, it was hard to sort of time, find the time and space to think sort of big picture strategically about the business or about the direction or those sorts of like strategic decisions. It was more, much more a question of just trying, you know, am I staying afloat here? Can I, can I like trying to balance all the different calls for my, my time? And so it was around that sort of Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. About three months in, maybe three and a half months in, that I uh, started to realize that like, gosh, I need some help here. Like I can't do this on my own. It's getting much bigger than I expected. Um, I need to find a you know somebody else to to help out with this. And so it was around that time that um, I got an email request from a guy uh, who was starting a travel blog. He was like, Hey, can I can I interview for this? I'll buy a couple subscriptions and give them away, you know, as part of a, like a, a promotion tactic. So I was like, Great, you know. And we had a nice little uh, um, interview for his, his his blog. Had this great chat, and after that, I started. I you know, I went away from that conversation thinking like, Okay, I really need a co-founder. I could spend the next four, five, six months like racking my brain, you know, trying to work my network, trying to think of anybody I can to to potentially become a co-founder and and come in on this together and really try to figure out who's the least risky option. Or I could maybe make the offer just to this guy I met on the internet a couple minutes ago. And so it ended up, uh, 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 of course, I ended up going with uh, uh, the second option. 
and and uh which sounds completely insane now you know uh uh however many years later but it was one again into that sort of theme of serendipity uh uh we ended up just really jibing together well and having and, and, and like my gut intuition that wow this is a really sort of smart forward-thinking ambitious and, and and just really savvy guy who uh whose skill set really mirrors my own like he was really good in thinking about um uh, uh business strategy and development and marketing and all those types of things and i was really good you know the like writing and the flight deals and and stuff like that so it ended up uh, you know made this offer and said yeah let's do it what's going on together and then uh 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 ended up sort of getting the wheels in motion where where he was being able to think a little bit more kind of bigger picture strategically about where to take this thing while I was kind of still manning the ship and 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 keeping those flight deals churning every right. day. This is Brian. Yeah, exactly. So this so, is my co-founder Brian. What's funny about this to me is um it sounds like you knew you were facing a pinch on your time. Like there was only there's only so many hours in a day. You've got the uh, you've got the newsletter that needs to go out on a regular basis. You've got the deals you need to stay on top of uh, short term deals that that may only be only exist for a few hours. Um, but you've also got inbound requests that are coming via email. Um, let alone, I don't know what kind of web presence we're talking about here that you had to maintain um, to feature any of these things, since it was largely email based. I know, but um, how did you decide that Brian had all that you needed? And you weren't still going to be missing important pieces of the puzzle because he's your first to hire, right? He's he's not really a hire. He's a founder. But still, you choose to bring him on board. How did you decide that you were going to be adequately covering the right bases by bringing him versus, oh, you know what? I need to bring somebody who can crawl some of these airline websites or something like that, like a technical founder. How did you make that decision? Let me tell you, Brandon, it was a total guess. <laughs> I had no idea. But the thing was, um, the thing to remember here is, is is twofold. One is that anytime you hire somebody, you never really know. You know, like all the entire hiring process is is essentially an exercise in risk mitigation. You're trying to find who can I get enough of a sense of to project forward how they're going to be in this particular role or position. Um, and, and, and who seems like, you know, that they have the, 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 the lowest chance of blowing up in my face. Um, and, and so look, I, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it was the most thorough of searches. Like I, I, I really just kind of got a good feeling and went with it here. Um, and this is not something that I would like advise uh, new startup founders that they're like, oh yeah, follow my path and just whoever the first person to interview, make them an offer to become your co-founder. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but it, it sounds like you, you know, got, in Brian's case, you got a sense for how he thinks. You got a sense for, um, he. it's almost as though he was evaluating how, the Scott's cheap flights entity and could offer more, could be more. And you, you got a, a look at what his vision was without, and it was all accidental. You know, it wasn't like he was auditioning for the job, um, let alone auditioning for a role as a co-founder. Um, but, but he was sort of demonstrating an aptitude that you didn't know, but clearly discovered 
you valued. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's right. Yeah. Not. I mean, not only did you know you could get to see a sort of earnestness about somebody when they don't feel like they're on uh, 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 when they're on the spot, you know, or they're being interviewed, but at the same time, you uh, uh, like it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't as though like as soon as the interview cut off, I was like Brian come on board, be my co-founder. You know, like I sort of went back, thought about it, you know, send him a, we like shot a few emails back and forth, like starting to think about, okay, what could this look like? You know, wh- what ideas did he have? Uh, uh, so like there was some measure of of due diligence, but um, I think the larger point is to remember, like at this time there, you know, it sounds crazy in retrospect because now the company's 40 people uh, on the team and, you know, a few million members and all that. But at the time, it was just, it was very low stakes. Like, I think there were 500 uh, uh, people who had uh, signed up for the list. And and so it was like, worst case, if this doesn't end up working out, then, you know, like, look, we lost, I lost a business that was making a thousand bucks a month. Like, uh, like. And did you think about it that way too? Did you think about like, not that you curtailed your vision, you weren't thinking this, listen, this thing's never going to have millions of members. I'm not suggesting that you were thinking that way, but you, you probably weren't consciously thinking about, is he the right guy for this business to be a uh, $50 million business or something? You know, you, you weren't evaluating it in that way anyway. That's correct. Like it wasn't like, uh, you know, when Uber has a, a CEO vacancy and they're they're sitting there trying to evaluate who's the right person to take take the helm of this you know uh, ten multi billion dollar company like it was just it was bringing in a thousand bucks a month and, and so it wasn't nothing but it wasn't like the biggest risk in the world and 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 but at the same time I, I, I even if I didn't know it sort of consciously I, I you know I had a, a sense in my gut that like. There was something here, like this thing could definitely grow and get a lot bigger, but I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. Like I'm not, you know, I'm going to need some other people who are really kind of smart and cunning and and, and, and shrewd. But also, um, I also didn't have, you know, a ton of, of, of sort of people that came to mind like, oh, you know, either Brian or this person or Brian or, or, or this, it, it, it was mostly like evaluated against itself. Um, and it was like, I know, you know, I know I could have gone back and done a many month search for this type of thing, but I'm not sure that, that it would have resulted in, I mean, it certainly wouldn't have resulted in a better outcome because I mean, he's just been absolutely in, in, essential for the, the company, but, but, um, uh, I'm not even sure that it would have been a better decision to go to go about that way because I, you know, for that type of company at that point, for for the type of people I might be able to find, you just you never, you, it's such a hard thing to find a co-founder. In the right, and place. and you would have been looking and and if you had gone about it overly formal, where you're getting resumes and so forth, it seems like you would have been, you would have had the infamous interview scenario, which is you across the table from people evaluating one another in a very formal way. And the way it actually rolled out with you and Brian was much more organic and natural and conversational. So you could get inside one another's heads and and determine if there's a real chemistry there, as opposed to a chemistry that emerges in an interview, which is always hoped for, but maybe not always real. You know what I mean? Well, especially because this type of role is not... um you're not a, a, a mercenary, you know, you don't have like X, Y, and Z things that you need to accomplish in or, and then, you know, the day's over, like it's a very sort of 
uh, a missionary role. You're really thinking about like, how can I grow this company? You know, you're, you're living, eating, breathing it and, 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 and knowing that like its success is dependent on my ability to, to think creatively and, and to execute. And for that reason, it's that much more difficult to be able to, to, to hire for in the first place. And this is why so many co-founders end up being, you know, either siblings or college roommates or college, you know, like, like people that you really know well and not like a, an open casting call for a, for a, a co-founder. Right, 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 right. Where you do your best to vet the person and do your due diligence, but that's all the logical stuff you do to make sure boxes can be checked as opposed to the, I don't want to make it say it's emotional, but as opposed to the rapport building that you see if, are we going to be able to work well together? Are we going to be able to bring out more in each other because of uh, how we work together as opposed to you have this acumen, you know, this, you have this, you have this and this and so forth. So I don't want to spend too much time about that. I just think it's interesting that that's, that's how you learned the you would best operate is by finding a founder accidentally in some ways at a time when you knew you needed one, but not necessarily on purpose. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very fortunate. So let's talk a little bit about those first decisions. You've now brought Brian on board. Talked about talk about, and you don't have to talk in a month by month way, but the evolution of the company at that point. How did you decide how to structure and scale the company so that it could be a one plus one equals three or four or five? To use that cliche, sadly, um, and the two of you would accomplish much more than just having a second person on board helping you out with a a few tasks. What did you do to energize the company at that point? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because so many, um, so many startups and so many companies operate with a very sort of long-term thinking projects in mind. You know, oh, we want to get to this uh, this goal or this metric in three years, and so we're going to work backwards from there. And for us, it um, the way we operated for 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 years was really very uh, reactive, and that sounds you know bad it sounds like oh you know there wasn't a lot of strategy it sound but but at the same time it was it was, i think it was the right decision for where we were as a company you know and by reacting i mean hey people were emailing us saying like oh scott i'm not getting my emails quickly enough or they're going to 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 spam or or how can i um you know, make sure I'm getting only uh, deals out of my home airport rather than all the deals or stuff like that. And so each time we would sort of like be listening to users, we'd try to think, okay, what are the tools that we can build? And 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 bear in mind, I don't have a a, a computer programming background. Brian is much better at it than me, but he's not, you know, a, a developer by, by trade or anything. Um, and so we're sort of trying to build these things. We're trying to like market the the website a little bit oh you know trying to think um all the little sort of of things where in a in a larger company you know there's a div- there's a marketing division and there's an engineering division right there's a team uh, you know, specific yeah. yeah all these types of things and we're just like wearing each one of these hats every single day trying to be like uh, uh you know and this is in addition to the to the very core product of flight deals and trying to to build up the company and so for a long time it was very reactive it was very um you know what what fire needs to be put out today what's broken today but but through it all through the sort of uh uh uh, figuring that all out the company's still growing like it's it's i mean it's going and it's growing really really quickly because people love cheap flights 
and people hate going through the process of trying to find cheap flights on their own because it's a horrible problem. Like booking airfare is such a horrible uh, user experience that just having somebody to there by your side to help you out and let you know when those deals pop up makes it takes it from a horrible experience to incredibly joyous one that people like to celebrate. And so, um, for instance, even the very uh, 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 act of asking people to, hey, when you book, you know, when you find a deal that we, uh, uh, you know, people would write back, oh, I got this deal. And then asking, hey, will you let your friends know? You know, we post about it on Facebook or Twitter or something like being able, uh, making that decision. Then all of a sudden, you know, all of their People know and who doesn't, you know, cheap flights are such a broadly appealing thing that uh, it wasn't like trying to sell, um, I don't know, you know, trying to sell some sort of random trinket that had a very narrow uh, audience. Like everybody is the audience for for cheap flights. And so trying to just get the word out there and trying to get people to recommend it to their friends was was one of those early sorts of things we were really going for. Because, look, I come at this from somebody who is very skeptical. I mean, that's the journalist in me. It's just like so <laughs> too good to be true, right? Everything. Yeah. And and so um even to this day, we essentially have had a, a zero dollar paid marketing budget. Like we just haven't really done paid ads. And the reason why is because it's just very skeptical of like I, anytime somebody tries to sell me something, I just really recoil at it. I'm like, mm, you know, I'm like not, in, you know, not interested. And, and it's just sort of like a gut instinctual reaction. I think there are a lot of people with that same sort of mindset as me. But on the flip side, if I have a friend or somebody that I know well who says like, oh, Scott, you know, do you hear about this cool new service that, uh, you know, you can you can just download an app and then you can ride a car, you know, you can call a car and they'll pick you up anywhere and take you anywhere. I'm like, Oh, cool. That sounds great. I'll check that out. Like I'm very, uh, not only is my guard not up, but I'm like, I'm in, I'm bought in. If it comes recommended to me, then yeah, absolutely. And so that was really trying to capitalize on that was one of our early sorts of, I think, uh, 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 lucky, lucky initiatives um, because that's. And that's, that's, that's the, that's the question. That's where I wanted to go next actually is there's two pieces of the puzzle here. There's the, how do you, how do you grow rapidly without relying on advertising? Um, and I want to I want to find out more about this word of mouth that you're building, uh, that you're sort of stoking the fire you're stoking on that. Uh, and then there's a, there's also the part of finding the best deals. There's the human and or algorithmically driven element to that as well. So in the when you got to the point where it's at a pain point for you to do this all by yourself, um, that is try to encourage people to keep subscribing their friends or recommending uh, uh, the site to friends or the service, the email service to friends, as well as finding the deals. How did you start to scale some of those things so that you could always feel like you're providing the best value to people, but you're not ignoring the fact that you need to grow as well, right? How, how were you doing that? And how did, you, how did that evolve when Brian came aboard? Yeah. So one of the lucky things about the the business and just the way that it's set up in the first place is that it, it it it's kind of inherently scalable you know whether once i find a really a really good flight deal emailing it out to uh the list is the same amount of effort whether there's 50 people on it or 50,000 you know it just uh, like 
there's a an essential the marginal cost of any additional user at least the marginal expense for the business is essentially nothing um so in that sense it's like really fortunate to be inherently scalable and you know not one of those companies like um uh, uh you know like an uber like a a a uh, um uh, some of the like food delivery ones where the more they grow, the more more money they lose. And, you know, they're just trying to compete for market share. And so um, uh, what it became, I think, a question of early on is when do we hire certain people for certain roles and where where should Brian and I's effort be directed towards? Like when does a problem become big enough that it, we should handle it by bringing somebody else on board to right. deal with it. Dedicated so, to that, solving that problem, right? Yeah, exactly. So like the very, very first hire that we made was um, somebody to come in and be a, a customer support expert, um, you know, someone to be a customer advocate because we uh, uh, were spending, you know, hours and hours every day trying to respond to people who are writing in like, oh, you know, hey, Scott, I, I just booked this deal. Thanks so much. Or, hey, Scott, you know. I, I, I want to get this deal, but I'm having trouble finding on it. Can can you help me? Um, all the, you know, the, the, at that point, probably hundreds of emails a day that we're getting in there was taking a ton of time to be able to, to manage. And that was taking away from time being able to spend thinking about the business, thinking about, you know, new initiatives, looking for deals, all these other types of other things. And so, you know, we'd bring on somebody there and then we'd say, oh, shoot, you know, our, our tech stack is starting to, break. I mean, there was no tech stack at the time, but like, uh, you know, whatever, uh, like our website's starting to break because we would have some very popular initiative and 20,000 people would all log on to the website at the same time and it would just crash. Like it would just go down. Um, so we were like, God, we need, we need an engineer here. Like we need somebody who actually knows how to do this stuff. And so, you know, we would hire somebody there and then we would be like, oh man, we're getting way more emails than we expected. Maybe we should hire a couple more customer service advocates. And so, it, 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 you know, again, going back to sort of being a little bit reactive, it was looking at sort of every every step of the road. Were we um, starting to uh, uh, bring, like, like is, there, is our time better spent tackling that problem ourselves or bring people on to handle it? And even something like um, we were getting a lot of requests. Scott, I love this idea can you do the same thing, but for Australia, you know, or, or for New Zealand or for Canada or for the UK. And um, uh, partly because of geographical, uh, you know, that the middle of Australia day is when I am fast asleep and vice versa. And partly because frankly, I don't actually know that much about like Australia flight deals. Like I, I you know, I could rattle off just about everything about uh, like US and Canada flight deals, but, but for for Australia, not not exactly at my alley. So I was like, okay, why don't we see about bringing on uh, uh, an Australia flight expert? And why don't we see about bringing on a UK and Europe flight expert? So you can see how each kind of, it was definitely like a one step of the, at a time, but also partly because remember, we were, we, are, we were and we are uh, a, a completely bootstrapped company. Like we didn't take any VC funding. We didn't take any outside investment. And part of the reason for that is we wanted to make sure we could maintain that control and not have to think, not have to, uh, um, you know, be answering to, to to investors. But it also meant that we had to kind of be very mindful of of the budget, be mindful of the um, the revenue. I mean, we we're profitable from day one, but we wouldn't have been profitable. We wouldn't have had much room to to do that if we had hired, you know, 
10 people in the first in the first six months or something like that so so it was a slow but intentional right to that point as as the company has grown and you've added people and this was your first company. This was your first. You made a point. You made the point at the very beginning how how many first time businesses just this just don't work out, you know, um, uh, for for a variety of reasons. In your case, it has worked out. But um, what is the lesson that you? What are the lessons that you've seen in this endeavor? You've probably gotten sucked into more the entrepreneurial world, business building world, and and spent less time in the journalism uh, journalist world. Um, and as you interact w- with more uh, aspiring founders or actual founders, what is the wisdom that you feel like you've gained that you wish along those lines of growth and being reactive? Like you're saying it in some ways, like it's a negative thing, but clearly it's been wise for you guys to work that way. How has that played into? Excuse me. And what is the what like? What's the wisdom you would pass on to another aspiring founder in that way? Hmm. I think the biggest the biggest thing that I've learned, the biggest mistake that I see a lot of people making, is being way too theoretical and not ever testing and 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 being way too late to like test things out or see if it works in practice. So, for example, um, uh, we never wrote a business plan. Like we never did a, 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 a you know one of those big long documents. Oh, here's where we're going to be in you know, one year and three years and five years. And I think most people who do write a business plan will tell you that like by by day two, it's essentially outdated. Like it's, it, it's completely obsolete. And it's not that it's a horrible exercise to go through and it's never valuable because I think it can sort of like uh, uh, focus the mind a bit. But I think that there's a temptation for a lot of people starting up a, uh, uh, a business to want to figure out all the answers ahead of time and have everything like completely lined up and completely ready to go and 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 and, and as though they have you know complete control over what the outcome is going to be and they're not realizing that they're doing this at the expense of execution and at the expense of moving quickly you know um i can't gosh i can't remember who said it but somebody uh uh, Steve Jobs or somebody along those lines said something uh, to the effect of, you know, if you wait till something is 90% ready, you've waited too long. Um, or, or, you know, or, or maybe it's like if you wait till it's completely ready, you've waited too long. And and so I think one of the virtues that Scott Street Flight had from the beginning was just being right into the marketplace, you know, right in seeing, hey, are people willing to pay for this? Uh, uh, you know, having a real kind of, it was the the first the first emails and the first uh, 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 website and everything. It was rough, like it was really rough. Um, but that's okay. Like it's that you know you you can what you gain by being at rough is you don't have to spend tens of tens of thousands of dollars on a really spiffy website, and you don't have to spend tens of thousands on you know personnel and engineers and and marketing and all this, and you just get to see. You know, you could spend all this money on these other things, but if you're not able to convince customers to pay for whatever it is you're selling, then it's all going to be for naught. And so, you know, that seems like pretty important to be able to see that early on. Are people uh, uh, willing to to pay for this thing? And 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 that's like it can feel like an obvious answer in retrospect, and you know, because you, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But at the time, you know, any new business and especially one that in a way in a sort of industry or in a, a model that hasn't really existed before, like Scott's Cheap Flights, it doesn't 
it's not obvious at the time that that people will pay for it. And there are plenty of what seemed like, you know, slam dunk businesses that that did not end up getting people, you know, convinced to pay for it. Uh, you know, I've I've dozens and dozens of friends from from college who started up businesses and it sounded great. I, I, I was surprised that not many people were willing to pay for it. But again, goes back to remembering that 90 something percent of, of startups fail. And, and so being, you know, not having that hubris that, oh yeah, people are going to love this, but instead going in early, testing it out, making it very kind of like low, uh, a low lift build and then, and, and, and seeing and, con- and making it more of a cycle, I think ends up benefiting people a lot, a lot more than trying to figure out everything from the get go and spend a ton of money doing it. Right. Well, the development world would use the term like sprints, doing things in short terms where it's bite sized, it's manageable. You have a short term uh, finish line, and you can see does the marketplace like this? Okay. Yes. Sprints and and MVPs, right? Minimum viable product. See, just just put it out there. Doesn't have to be spiffy. See if people like it, and if and if they do, then you can make it spiffy. It doesn't have to stay like that forever. Yep. All right, so I have one more question for you, and then we'll get into the final segment that I warned you about. <laughs> my my final question for you is the future. Um, it is no uh, hidden secret that people love cheap flight deals. <laughs> so there's no shortage of people always trying to find new ways to sh- shake up the market with with uh, you know um, this this deals site or whatever it is, and it it's not just for travel; it's for a lot of different industries as well. As more people try to either algorithmically or in a curated way build alternatives, as you, and you look ahead to the next 24 months or so, and I know you're not the type that's going to say, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. How do, you, how do you envision how your company will need to evolve in terms of how you engage members so that you can continue to be on the forefront, of, for not just from a growth standpoint, but delivering exactly what they hope for when they sign up for premium membership? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, our biggest competition is, is apathy. It's just people not knowing that, 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 that this exists because every time, you know, I mean, when people sign up, they love it. And, and, and I don't say that as an egotistical thing. I don't say that to like toot my own horn. I say that as somebody who loves to travel and hates spending money to do it. And, uh, I was even surprised how, like, it feels so, so, uh, uh, intuitive, of course, why wouldn't people love cheap flights? But I don't think I even realized the extent to which it is such a popular thing and su- such a hated thing to to be alone trying to uh, uh, find good flight deals on your own. And so the question uh, uh, in my mind is like, how can we continue? How can we provide a service that is both uh, providing that value, hooking people up with with cheap flights, but also do, being able to do it in as personalized way as possible. Because, you know, if I'm in Seattle, like a cheap flight out of Miami is, that's great. It doesn't hurt me, but it doesn't do much for me, you know, or if like, or if I just went to uh, South Korea, like if I get home from that, you know, getting a deal about uh, getting notification about a deal to South Korea doesn't do much for me. Like I want to go somewhere else. You know, I just, just went there or maybe I'm 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 a teacher and I'm like I can only travel in the summer like like it could be the best mistake fair in the world but if it's you know during the school year not much I can do and so really trying to build out our our, our systems and trying to build out uh, uh our offerings so that we can make the so we can make the Scottsdale flights experience as personalized as possible because we each have our different we all love cheap flights but we each have our different sort of 
preferences within that cheap right budget. tolerances like love- there's certain things yeah. we'll tolerate whether it's location or other encumbrances with a trip with a sure, trip yeah sure yeah you know some people travel just because they like whatever it is i just need to get to a beach you know i need a daiquiri in my hand and and the waves in the background some people are like i want to go mountain you know i want to go mountain trekking wherever it is some people i want to go explore the city like like we each have our different preferences but we want to make sure that we're not uh uh paying more for flights than we had to something that you said earlier really kind of resonated with me that there there's something so uh, uh uh uniquely it's either uniquely human or frankly uniquely american of the fear that that somebody out there got a really good deal and it's not me you know that it, like being you're locked in this in this flying metal tube for however many hours and just sitting there wondering like did the person next to me pay more or less than me for this for this flight and and you know like i i I gosh, it pains me if if I could know that the person next to me got a better deal. Yeah, you don't want to feel like the sucker. No one wants to be the sucker. Nobody wants to feel like the sucker. That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, uh, Scott, thank you so much for the time today. I um, it's been interesting to not only get an idea of how the company has grown through the years, but anybody can see that from the outside. It's been more interesting to figure out how you chose to make the decision and bring in Brian on board and how things have evolved since then, but just even how you think about uh, evaluating the business and make decisions in a proactive or reactive way, I think that's been really valuable, and I, I appreciate the time today. But I don't, I don't let you go until you get to participate in my final segment. So <laughs> I warned you about the three-for-one segment. Um, one principle, one uh, habit, um, and, uh, and one person. So let me, let's dig into our final segment here, and then I'll let you run with that. So our, our three questions um, in order are one principle or value that you believe, this is the hook I didn't tell you, that you believe that most people don't believe. Ooh, one that I believe that most people don't believe. Um, mm. So you, you really you really caught me with the <laughs> with the the one that most people don't believe here because I some you know I feel like that's the um, that's the the cost of of what seems like time old wisdom is that it just gets repeated over and over again people tend to uh, believe on it you know what one of the things that that I uh, I think that I, I I believe that most people don't is being just how cognizant of uh, how terrible predictors we are of our own career paths. Like we're told in, you know, college, like, oh, you've got to pick the right major so that you will get a good job after. And, oh, you've got to, you know, get a great job after. So it sets you up for future great jobs and whatnot. And look, the fact is that most people, like they've done studies on this. Most people change career, not just jobs, but change careers three times over the course of their career. Like total, you know, Look at me. I was a journalist first, and now I'm cheap flights expert. Who knows what I'm going to be next? Uh, and so, even you know, you look at uh, Michael Lewis was a uh, you know the famous author of Moneyball and uh, uh, The Big Short and others. He studied art history in college. Um, Julia Child, you know, famous chef. I think she studied English. So, I think it, there a bit of humility in in predicting your own career path, but in also embracing the 
opportunities as they come is warranted. And but I think we're sort of led to believe that we are in complete control, you know, and that we get we control our own career paths. And that's true. I mean, they're to a certain extent. Yes. But but at the, at, at the same time, you know, is there any way that I ever could have predicted in, in college or even like six or seven years ago when this first started that I'd be where I am today? No way in hell. Absolutely not. And by the so, way, isn't it? Is, I think it's ironic. Uh, it, I, I told you these would be quick hitting, but I'm and so I apologize for adding to this. But isn't it ironic how much pressure universities seem to put on people to choose their uh, their degree earlier in their college life now, when it matters less? You would argue in their actual career. Maybe a conversation for another day, but <laughs> um, but I find that ironic. All right, question number two. Question two. One behavior or habit that you try to stick to no matter what it's one of the most important habits to you yeah um going i i I try to go to the gym and 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 i shouldn't say i try i do go to the gym quite regularly and one of the decisions i sort of made early on and i'm not sure you know i'm i'm not a trainer i'm not a licensed uh, uh uh physical therapist so take my advice with a grain of salt but what has worked for me is the notion is really when it clicked in my head that it was about quantity over quality. So much of our life, you know, and and in most areas of life, you know, it's it's not bad advice to say like quality is more important than quantity. And I think that's a very sort of um, uh, faddish way of looking at most things that that you really want to prioritize quantity or quality. But if you take somebody who goes to the gym once, you know, twice a month for three hours at a time. And then you take somebody else who goes to the gym three times a week for 20 or 30 minutes each time. That person who goes for, you know, three times a week for 20 or 30 minutes, like they probably go the same amount in a full month, but because they're doing it consistently in quantity, they're going to be in way better shape and they're going to have a, a far better, like functioning body, functioning mind, all those types of things than if they were really trying to you know, uh, kind of be, like like binge in their in their uh, uh, exercise, and so I really have sort of itch, like aimed for a um, uh, a personal uh, approach where I find I basically years ago found the bare minimum amount of time that I could spend at the gym that I would be able to consistently go three times a week. That you know, if if and if that meant only going for ten minutes. Go, you know, just go for 10 minutes. Like, what is the bare minimum amount of time that I can spend at the gym where I won't be tempted to skip the next time? And knowing that I can always ratchet that up later, but getting in the habit of going consistently. And now going to the gym for me is basically like brushing my teeth. You know, it's not something that I'm like, oh, do I want to or not want to? It's like, it's on the schedule. I'm going. It's, yeah, exactly. But I'm not, you know, when I'm going, I'm not going for an hour. I'm not going for an hour and a half. Like, I've, I've found a sort of like, good, good, uh, uh, kind of consistent regimen that I know I can stick to without uh, being tempted to skip. And so I, I really, I, I know that's really worked for me of finding even, even at a, you know, at a minimum amount of time, finding a routine that I'm not tempted to skip because I knew prizing quantity over quality was going to be uh, a, a better payout in the end. Good. All right. And your final one, one person you most admire or very much admire uh, that you take your cues from in life, or maybe you most aspire to be like. Mm. So, gosh, I'm. 
man, I'm deciding between two tough ones in my head, but um, I think I'm going to go with Damian Lillard, uh, famous Portland Blazers basketball player. A lot of people remember him for that incredible shot he had to uh, to knock out the Oklahoma City Thunder in last year's NBA playoffs. What um, you know, an incredible basketball player, really nice guy. What, but what is what was really kind of remarkable to me about him? You know, he's a a um, uh, NBA star, you know, an all-star, uh, get, has like a, a max contract, you know, really, uh, just an incredible player, but who, who, you know, was not highly recruited out of, uh, uh, high school, not highly recruited out of, out of, out of college. I think he was a mid round, um, draft pick. And, and so not just that he has, you know, risen up, like there are plenty of players who have risen up to fame from, uh, more modest beginnings, but, the mentality that he brings to the team is something really fascinating to me in that he gets interviewed and he's asked like, oh, you know, why don't you take an offer to go play, you know, in L.A. or go play in New York or, or Chicago or something like that? And, 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 and the way that he answers this is, is something really remarkable. He says, um, look, I could do that. But at the same time, if, I know that if I were to accept a different deal, you know, a deal with another team just to be able to get more money, then that kind of creates a sort of butterfly effect effect around the not only the two teams that are trading, but frankly around the league where there are, you know, dozens of people who end up getting traded as well. Each of those does, you know, dozens of, of people, uh, are, they're not just NBA players, they have families. And each of them all of a sudden has to uproot their lives, move somewhere completely new, you know, have a, they, like their kids have to, all this type of thing just because I wanted an extra, you know, $5 million off of, uh, in, in addition to the 140 or whatever million. And so he, he's basically said, you know, like, look, I'm uh, like, want to stay here and do right by my team and, and, and making those decisions in a really uh, uh, eyes open, selfless, sort of aware of everybody else was just like a really heartwarming and remarkable thing to me, especially um, that you don't see too often especially in that level of professional sports so that that that's something that that has been on my mind some recently and really uh really look up to and admire that type of uh that type of mentality to a team that's a good one scott thank you so much i appreciate the time today my pleasure thank you so much for having me here this was great all right that was scott keys and his story founder of scottscheapflights.com stay tuned for next week as we bring you the story of Stephanie Harder, founder and author of Eating Like You Give Up. If you enjoyed this episode, give us your rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And tell a friend or two or three, won't you, recommend us, mention us, pass us along, and reach out to me again on Twitter at Brandon Hull. Finally, thank you to my co-producer, Preston Lee, founder of Milo and admin of the Milo Mastermind community on Facebook, as well as our incredible production assistant, Bilal Abrar, and to our friends at the Podglomerate Network. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week on Freelance to Founder.